Let's go to Micah chapter 7. Micah chapter 7, we'll begin by reading verses 7 through 13. Therefore, I will look unto the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he plead my cause and execute judgment for me. He will bring me forth to the light and I shall behold his righteousness. Then she that is mine enemy shall see it and shame shall cover her which said unto me, Where is the Lord thy God? Mine eyes shall behold her. Now shall she be trodden down as the mire of the streets. In the day that thy walls are to be built, in that day shall the decree be far removed. In that day also he shall come even to thee from Assyria, and from the fortified cities, and from the fortress even to the river, and from sea to sea, and from mountain to mountain. Notwithstanding, the land shall be desolate because of them that dwell therein for the fruit of their doings. So, over the last two weeks, we've considered verses 7 and 8 in our series through Micah. Remember, Micah was living among a people that there was a severe lack of righteousness to be found in the land. Friends could not be trusted. You couldn't put your confidence in your guides, in your spouse, in your children, in your in-laws. Micah said a man's enemies are those of his own house. That's how bad it had gotten in Micah's day. And it's still good advice that we don't put our full trust and confidence in people. Amen. And so Micah, he looked unto the Lord. He waited for the God of his salvation, believing that his God heard him when he cried out. Then in verse 8, Micah says to the enemy, Rejoice not against me. The enemy wants to take advantage of us, to slander us, to mock our God. Any time that God would allow them to prevail over us due to our wickedness, they're ready to take advantage of that opportunity and rub it in. Psalm 35, verses 16 and 16, it says, But in mine adversity they rejoiced and gathered themselves together. Yea, the abjects gathered themselves together against me, and I knew it not. They did tear me and cease not. With hypocritical mockers and feasts, they gnashed upon me with their teeth. The enemy doesn't understand the reason for our adversity. They don't know God. They don't understand how many times it is simply a result of us seeing what we've sown come up. They don't understand those principles, how God works and operates. And so they ridicule us. And they look for an opportunity to sarcastically ask, where is your God now? I didn't get to this last week, but the enemy that's rejoicing here in context is most likely the Babylonians when they came in and took the house of Judah captive for 70 years. And when you think about that in light of Psalm 137, verses 1 through 3, it says, By the rivers of Babylon, they were taken captive. They're being the ones who did not die. They're being taken captive into Babylon. And so they're at the rivers of Babylon. It says, There we sat down, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof, for they that carried us away captive required us of a song. And they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. 
Now, I don't think that they were saying that because they genuinely wanted to hear one of the songs of Zion. It is my opinion they were saying that because they were just rubbing it in that they had taken them captive and they're crossing into Babylon and Zion's now behind them. You see, the enemy, they can be very merciless at times. And we just need to know that. Uh, amen. But we know the Bible says that those that wait upon the Lord shall not be ashamed. There are great promises for those who have learned to wait upon God. We sing one of those on Sunday nights, Isaiah 40 and verse 31. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Micah went on to say in verse 8, When I fall, I shall arise. So our enemies shouldn't rejoice over us because God's not through with us. And He's going to get the last laugh, if you will, over Babylon. They're going to get what they deserve in time. So the enemy, they rejoice over us. They don't understand God is still at work behind the scenes. We may come to a justly deserved divine appointment because of our sinfulness, but we will not remain in our afflicted state forever. And then finally from last week, Micah said in verse 8, When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. And remember that it doesn't say after the darkness, the light will appear. But when I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light unto me. And so in reality, it was the sitting in the darkness, which was the occasion by which they recognized the light. I think that's a very important principle. Because when we have dark days, we need to be looking for the Lord. A lot of our Bible's written in dark times. A lot of great victories come out of dark times. I think about Daniel in the lion's den when they rolled that stone back over there. How lonely and how dark it must have been for him. And yet, how marvelous he saw God work on his behalf. Saw God's light, if you will. And so, it is in that position that God is trying to show us more of him. He brings us into periods of darkness and, and in distress because that's when the light shines the brightest. And God's trying to bring us back into a right relationship and that we might see Him more clearly than we've ever seen Him before. And if you've gone through those kind of periods in your life, you know you learn more about God and yourself during those hard times than you did during the good times. They're necessary. So the challenge at the close of last week was don't give up on God. He's simply teaching you to trust Him more, to walk more closely with Him. And so we need to allow Him to purge out of our lives that which needs to be purged. Call out to Him, wait for Him, look for Him. Now let's move on to verse 9 this morning. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against Him until He plead my cause and execute judgment for me. He will bring me forth to the light and I shall behold His righteousness. I think what we are seeing here in these, this set of verses is the maturity of a believer. The maturity of a believer. In verse 7, this is one who has learned to call upon the Lord, to patiently wait for the Lord, and then to look for the Lord. 
And then in verse 8, this is one who has learned that God's not through with us just because the enemy has their day, but that God is still at work on our behalf. And now we see even more maturity from the believer who exhibits the proper attitude while going through God's affliction. And I think this one's the most difficult out of the three to learn, to understand why it is we go through what we go through. Micah speaking here, probably on behalf of God's children as a whole, he's resolved to bear their affliction through the strength of God's grace. The indignation that we read about here is against their national sins. They they were committing abominations. It's very displeasing to the Lord. Likewise, America has many national sins that God is not pleased with. They are an abomination to the Lord. As God's children, we need to understand we are the object of His love. He died for us. He gave Himself for us. He didn't do that for anybody else, anything else. We are the object of His love. And as a result of that, God's children will never bear God's wrath. Why? Because Christ bore it on the cross for us. He took the wrath of God in our place. None can bear God's vengeful indignation. None can stand before it. All will fall under it. Just read the Revelation. And so when we read here about this indignation, this is not vindictive fury against His children. This is God exercising His anger against the nation. Like it or not, we will suffer as individuals when the nation goes astray. Just like all of creation groaneth, the Bible says, because of sin. And so we will suffer hardships when our nation continues to sin against God. But this isn't talking about, I just want to make it clear, it's not talking about wrath against God's children here. This is God's anger against their sinfulness. It is a disciplinary method. This is the Father's righteous chastisement. John Gill wrote this, quote, Consistent with the strongest, talking about his righteous indignation is consistent with the strongest love and affection for them. And to bear this, to be humble under the mighty hand of God, quietly to submit to it, and patiently to endure the affliction without murmuring and repining till the Lord pleases to remove it. End quote. Many have the idea that nothing difficult is ever supposed to come into the life of the child of God. Many have what is called a hyper-grace mindset today. We can live any old way we please because we're under grace and we're not under law. And that hyper-grace mindset leads to lasciviousness. Did I say the right word? This idea that we have a license to sin because... God has paid for our sins. We're under grace. He's going to forgive us. And this mindset has really permeated our society to where we can do whatever we want on Saturday night so long as we come and confess on Sunday morning. 
And this idea that nothing bad is ever supposed to happen to God's children has led to some behavior that's very unholy by God's children. Sometimes God is going to chastise you more severely than He did before. Our God is slow to anger. He's very compassionate. He will forgive us when we confess our sins. Hallelujah. But that does not mean that our sins will always go unpunished. For sure, God is far more merciful than we could ever deserve. Can I get an amen right there? If I got what I deserve for the sins that I commit, God is so good to us. And very often, He does allow His mercy to override what we deserve. And parents, if I could encourage you, show mercy to your children. Teach them what God's mercy is. I'm not saying to let them get away with punching you. Amen. God is far more merciful than we deserve. And He does allow His mercy to override what we deserve sometimes. Just listen to this passage, Psalm 103, verses 6 through 14. I know I read this recently in a different message, but here you go again. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known His ways unto Moses. He acts His acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will He keep His anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear Him. For He knoweth our frame, He remembereth that we are dust. So our God is long-suffering, amen? He's compassionate, He's slow to anger, He's plenteous in mercy. But sometimes the bad crops do come up. We might pray for crop failure. Lord, don't let that harvest come up, please. Sometimes it does. And we end up reaping what we've sown. All those seeds of wickedness we planted and that we nurtured along refusing to confess our sinfulness. It's during these times of affliction that we begin to see a separation from the mature believers and the less mature believers. During affliction, those who are less mature, they'll begin to murmur and complain against God. Listen, I've seen this repeatedly. They'll say... They'll say they performed verse 7 here, that they called out for God, they waited for God, they looked for God, but then they'll lose their patience and they'll hastily jump to the conclusion that God never showed up on their behalf. God doesn't care about me and God doesn't love me. God could have helped me and He didn't. Micah, he's mature in his faith. Amen? He recognizes that What is happening to them is a result of their sinfulness against God. That the reason for the indignation of the Lord against Israel, let me put it this way, that what God was going to do to them was still going to be far less than what they deserved. Those who are repentant and truly remorseful will accept the just sentence of God against them. You hear what I'm saying? We're talking about maturing in the Lord here in these verses. And we're getting to a point where many people drop out. The more mature believer will acknowledge that they deserve far 
more than God ever inflicts. To be clear, this chastisement we receive from God is not to pay for our sins. Christ paid for our sins. So don't ever look at it that way. His precious blood is what paid our redemption. However, God's chastisement is to teach us. We must understand that as God's children, we can choose our sins, but we cannot always choose our consequences. In fact, I'm only aware of one time in the Bible off the top of my head where someone was allowed to choose the consequence for their sins. And that was David when he numbered the children of Israel. He didn't trust God. He pridefully numbered his armies. And the Lord told the prophet Gad to tell David, you can choose three years of famine, three months to be destroyed before your foes, or three days of pestilence from the Lord. And if you're familiar with that account, you know David chose the pestilence from the Lord. He said, let me fall now into the hand of the Lord, for very great are His mercies. But let me not fall into the hand of man. And so even in that scenario, David was mature enough to understand how the Lord doesn't reward us according to what we deserve. He says, I know God's going to be merciful. But somehow people have the idea that God isn't being merciful to them when they have to bear the indignation of the Lord for their sinfulness. They don't see that it's actually less than what they deserve. Is everybody okay? On the other hand, the, the mature believer will recognize that their affliction was a result, a just result, of their sinfulness. And they will endure their chastisement with a proper attitude, knowing that God is merciful and that He never rewards us according to what we deserve. Eli the priest, in the early chapters of 1 Samuel, did a lot of things wrong. He was going to pay the price for it. When Samuel, who was a child, had to tell him what God had told Samuel, that was going to come upon the house of Eli. He told him all this judgment to come. At least Eli had the right perspective about it. 1 Samuel 3.18, And Samuel told him every whit and hid nothing from him. And this is what Eli said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. Do you have that attitude? When you hear God's rod approaching, Are you able to just say, the Lord's will be done? Do we believe that God really really does do all things well? Do we believe that what He does is for our good and His glory? You see, these are the marks of a contrite heart. These are the traits of a believer who has matured in the Lord. Judges 10.15, And the children of Israel said unto the Lord, We have sinned, Do thou unto us whatsoever seemeth good unto thee. 2 Samuel 16, 11 and 12. And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my son which came forth of my bowels seeketh my life. How much more now may this Benjamite do it? Remember he's walking along and this guy's cussing at him and throwing rocks at him. David says, Let him alone. Let him curse. For the Lord hath bidden him. It may be that the Lord will look on mine affliction and that the Lord will requite me good for his cursing this day. Job chapter 1 verses 20 through 22. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb 
and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. A mature believer. James 5, verses 10 and 11. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure, or blessed. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Remember that the context in Micah here is this coming captivity for their sinfulness. Well, Jeremiah the prophet lived to see that day. And in the Lamentations, we get the account of the Babylonians marching in, destroying the city. And Jeremiah writes these things down under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. And and honestly, all of chapter 3 would be worthwhile reading, but let me just read you this passage. Lamentations 3, verses 39 and 40. Keep in mind, this judgment's coming to pass. And, and the Babylonians were absolutely brutal. They would take a newborn by their ankles and smash their heads against the wall. I mean, it was brutal, this takeover. And Jeremiah, being a mature believer in the Lord, he writes this, Wherefore doth a living man complain? A man for the punishment of his sins. Let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. Jeremiah says, why are you complaining? Now, he was weeping, okay? He didn't say it in that attitude. We have nothing to complain about because we have brought this upon ourselves. We must conclude that in our affliction and distress, we are always chastised less than our iniquities deserve. Say, well, it doesn't sound that way from what you you just described. If we all got what we deserved, we'd be in hell this very hour. We have nothing to complain about against God. We should learn to take our punishment patiently, knowing that in the end it will yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Leviticus 26, verses 40 through 42, it says, If they shall confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their trespass which they have trespassed against me, and that also they have walked contrary unto me, and that I also have walked contrary unto them, and have brought them into the land of their enemies, if then their uncircumcised hearts be humbled, and they then accept of the punishment of their iniquity, then will I remember my covenant with Jacob, also my covenant with Isaac, and also my covenant with Abraham, will I remember and I will remember the land. God told the nation very early on as they were coming out of Egypt, listen, you need to learn to take your punishment. God needs us to accept the punishment for our iniquities because it is for our good. 1 Peter 2.20 For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye take it patiently? Peter is saying a mature believer will patiently take the punishment for what he has done wrong. And this is what God expects from us. You expected the same from your children. But it is the immature believer who will murmur against God during seasons of their chastisement because they don't yet understand the enormity of their guilt against God. And that's the key. People who murmur and complain have not yet seen who they really are 
before a holy God. As God was dealing with Job, Job said in Job 40, verses 4 and 5, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay my hand upon my mouth. Once have I spoken, but I will not answer, yea, twice, but I will proceed no further. And then after God continued to deal with Job, and then after God had dealt with Job, Job concluded in Job 42.6, Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Do you have that kind of opinion about yourself before God? I know this isn't popular preaching today. It's not the way to pack the church. (laughs) Abraham acknowledged to God that he was but dust and ashes. Jacob learned about who he was and who God was when he said, I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. Elijah came to the conclusion that he was no better than his father's. Not sure who told him that he was. Ezra was ashamed and blushed because of their iniquities. Nehemiah acknowledged God was just in all that was brought upon them. He said, for thou hast done right, but we have done wickedly. After David learned his lesson in numbering the people, he said, I have sinned greatly in that I have done, and now I beseech thee, O Lord, take away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Isaiah 64 and verse 6, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. It is our iniquities that take us into the captivity, into the darkness, into the distress, into the afflictions. If you read the entirety of Daniel's prayer in Daniel chapter 9, you'll see that same attitude. For sake of time, let me read you one verse there, Daniel 9, 5. We have sinned and committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. And as a result of that acknowledgement, Daniel admitted that they deserved confusion of faces because of their trespass that they have trespassed against their God. He said, we deserve it. Now, he was at the end of the captivity. He said, we deserve what we got. Luke chapter 5, Peter fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. The prodigal son finally came to himself and confessed, I've sinned against heaven and, and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Luke 18, 13, And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Have you learned who you really are apart from Christ? Paul learned to say in Romans 7.18, For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Don't be guilty of thinking God owes you. There's nothing good about you. You were conceived in sin. And at the moment you had a choice to willfully choose between sin and righteousness, you chose sin. God will honor His Word. But He does so because of His namesake. (laughs) Not because you're something. God does reward good. He does punish evil, okay? 
I'm just trying to get us to see who we really are apart from Christ. As I said earlier, if we all got what we deserved, we'd be in a devil's hell. So don't be guilty of accusing God of being unfair in your affliction. He's far better to us than we could ever deserve. Therefore, Micah could say, I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against Him. Are you mature enough to say that in your personal life? And now, are you mature enough to say that in our national life? We're spiraling out of control. Judgment is on the way. Can you admit that you deserve far more than God inflicts? It's not pleasant to be chastised, amen? Nobody likes to go through it. But it is needful. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 13. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but He for our profit, that we might be partakers of His holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down, and the feeble knees, make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed." It's for our own good. It is to teach us holiness. It is to put us in the right path. It is to correct our behavior. If you're enduring the chastening of the Lord, then rejoice. The Bible says it's a sign that you're His child. So don't despise the chastening of the Lord. Don't faint when you're rebuked of Him. He just wants what is best for us. He does it for our profit. God wants us to walk in the right path. Isn't that why you discipline your children? Because you don't want them going astray. You don't want them choosing wickedness. You don't want them making the mistakes you made. They can bypass all of those headaches and all of that grief and all of that sinful living. And they can know what it means to dwell in the blessings of the Lord. Well, God's trying to do the same. He's trying to say, look, this isn't good for you. Get back over here. Isaiah 30, verses 18 through 21. And therefore will the Lord wait, that He may be gracious unto you. And therefore He will be exalted, that He may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are all they that wait for Him. For the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. Thou shalt weep no more. He will be very gracious unto thee at the voice of thy cry. When he shall hear it, he will answer thee. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet shall not thy teachers be removed into a corner any more. But thine eyes shall see thy teachers, and thine ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, 
This is the way. Walk ye in it. When ye turn to the right and when ye turn to the left. God says, I'm there to correct you. It's a straight path. It's a narrow gate. He doesn't want us on the broad way. And, And so when we're on that path and we start to drift to the left or we start to drift to the right, God speaks up behind us and He says, no, no, no. This is the way you need to walk in. And if you refuse that path, correction's going to come. Chastisement will come. The rod will be applied. You will endure affliction. In my home growing up, my dad made it very clear why I was being corrected. There was no gray area. Amen. But he was always merciful. And he always told me ahead of time, don't do that. Don't do that. If I didn't learn from the warning, I'd have to learn from the rod. God is often very merciful to you and He whispers behind you and He says, don't don't do that. Don't go there. And somehow you begin to sense, if I continue in this path, I know this is going to happen. I've heard the testimonies from people. I've heard people who got saved said, I just knew beyond a shadow of a doubt. Could never prove it, but they just knew in their heart. If I didn't go to God, I was going to die. You heard those testimonies? Listen, I've heard those kind of things from believers. I knew that if I didn't get this junk out of my life, I was going to suffer the consequences. God wants you to be in fellowship with Him. Well, let's not go any further. Let me finish again this week by saying trust God. He just wants your fellowship. He just wants to walk with you. He just wants to talk with you. Endure chastening and affliction. Be mature about it. Recognize that our sinfulness is what separates from God and that we always deserve more than He gives us. What a blessing. Let's pray.